0: Hello, I'm Robert Picardo. I'm Sylvester McCoy. I'm John Bett. And we are the cast of A Joke, and you are listening to Neil Before Pod.
1: Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Kneel Before Pod.
0: Hello and welcome to another demonic edition of Neil Before Pod, the podcast that comes to you from the doorway to hell, otherwise known as Scotland. With the recently released Hellboy reboot upon us, we decided to revisit the Yelmo del Toro direct duology and talk about it. And joining me from the depths of hell, apparently he likes candy and TV. It's Andrew.
1: Hello there. And if you just give me a second, and I just need to put the flames of flames out on, on my clothes, and,
0: and then then take a seat. That's good. Um, all this flame. We can't be having stuff catching on fire. That'd be a bad start to the day.
1: Well, yes, well, and I'll, I'll hear nothing but complaints from the neighbours about it.
0: Yeah, setting your house on fire tends to tends to rile people up. Imagine that. But, yeah, so we are here to talk about Hellboy, the previous films. Uh, we've got a reboot coming out soon, so it's a good time to talk about it. But first, let's descend into our award-winning... Um haven't decided what award it's won yet, but... Uh, award-winning Kneel Before Rise Again segment. Okay,
1: hey, well, my Kneel it Before, it's um, it's about um, the the remake of Child's Play, which is currently in production. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not kneeling before that in, its, in itself, because I think it's a, ter- it's, it's a ter- ter- terrible idea. Um, <laughs> i just completely unnecessary. But the, the aspect of it this time I am kneeling before Is the announcement that Chucky, in in Chucky the Killer Doll in the film, is going to be voiced by Mark Hamill? Is he going to be doing his Joker voice? Um, well, there wasn't any details as to what kind of voice he was going to be doing. He's going to be doing his Joker voice. It it would be pretty cool if he did.
0: (laughs) What else is he going to do? Uh, That's why he's cast, probably. I'm to understand. I haven't actually seen them in a long time, but are the child's play movies any good? I feel like they're that kind of horror franchise that's had so many entries that it ceased to be anything resembling what it once was.
1: Um, well, it's kind of variable uh, because what the franchise actually is um, I, has, has uh, kept on kept on changing as it's gone along. Was like the, the the original one is is pretty good? Yeah, yeah but the, and the the, sec- the second. The second two is, uh, like Child's Play two and three are just kind of average. And then the the fourth one, uh, uh, Br- uh, Bride of Chucky, is is actually my favourite in the series, and was also the point at which, uh, which uh, uh, Don, uh, Don Mancini, like the, the the guy the guy behind it all, that um, uh, this is when he actually realised how inherently ridiculous the entire premise was, and and instead of trying to Trying to uh, make uh, flat-out, uh, flat-out horror movies, actually, uh, uh willfully injected, injected comedy into it, which made which made the whole the whole thing so much more fun. Yeah, yeah so, so yeah, yeah, and then, then the after one, there was another one which was uh seed uh, Se- seed of Chucky.
0: It's Seed of Chucky that I remember the most, and I really hated that.
1: Yeah, 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 like the, the one the one with Jennifer Tilly playing herself. Yeah. Yeah, that that wasn't so good, and yeah, and and, and then there were the two ones after that. It was uh, Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky, which which like, went went back to pure horror, mm. like with some slight dark humour thrown in.
0: Yeah, I think I have seen the first one, although it was a long time ago. Um, creepy dolls are kind of all the rage these days, like the Annabelle films, of which I've seen one of. But they, you know, you can make a doll look pretty unsettling. Uh, so I wonder if they are they will just lean into the creep factor once again. I suspect with Mark Hamill playing the 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 Chucky role, probably more comedic.
1: I'm not too sure because well, from what I've read so far about it, they, they they seem to be seem to be going for just uh, 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 mainly a horror style, but. <laughs> Yeah, but if if there if there isn't like a, at least at least a, a, a little bit of humour in it, then yeah, then I think the fans of the series would probably end up being quite disappointed. Yeah, because
0: that's, that's what they come to expect of it. Could be tonally all over the place then. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, that's that's something to watch out for. Uh, I'm going to kneel before something that's kind of hot off the press. The final. Very short trailer for Avengers Endgame. It was released today as of time of recording, and uh, it's another trailer that doesn't really show you that much, although so it gives you little tidbits here and there. Since we won't really have time to do a trailer breakdown like we did not like we did for the first one, it's just a you know, quick chat about that, basically. You get to see Steve and Tony shaking hands, which is a really big deal, and a big showdown with Thanos. And since they've said the marketing is... Within the first fifteen to twenty minutes of the film, or something like that, maybe we're going to get a big Thanos duel in the first twenty minutes. Like that's mm. that's insane. Um, three hours and two minutes. I've got my ticket booked for the midnight screening. I am emotionally not ready for this, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I want it in my eyes right now. I just, I can't. You know, I haven't been this. I haven't anticipated something this much in quite some time.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, well, the thing I'm, I'm sort of wondering about about Endgame is, um, is just how big a role Thanos can actually have. Is it just, just, is it just because, because I like, guess at uh, the, this uh, the 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 end of Infinity War, I mean the, that was the end of his story.
0: It was, it was the end of his arc, yeah. But I think the the arc of the Avengers is to defeat him.
1: Yeah, but uh, just uh, in in, ter- in terms of undoing the snap, and um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how. How necessary his his presence would would be for that?
0: Well, my um, my theory is they'll get some catharsis out of defeating him, but the actual main plot will be something completely different. Like it won't all be about the you know the the rematch with Thanos. I think that they'll lop that off pretty early on, and then get on with the business of whatever the hell else the film's going to be actually about. You know the the rumored revisiting of previous films the. All, all the other stuff.
1: Yeah, all the um, stuff about the Quantum Realm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think the Avengers' biggest obstacle at the moment is uh, audience expectations. Can they defeat audience expectations? <laughs> uh, if I were the Russo brothers, I'd be pretty nervous right now. What if it's crap? What if they don't like it? I almost feel like this film should be Needs to be either a five star experience or a one star experience. Anything in between will just be, you know, unacceptable. It either needs to be the best thing ever made or the worst thing ever made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mediocrity will not be tolerated. Yeah, that's it. Like, it was, I if I've been waiting this long and it's like, eh, it was alright. <laughs> the stress I went through trying to book <laughs> um, tickets, uh, and it seems like. Disney single-handedly brought down every major cinema chain in the UK's websites in one fell swoop <laughs> this afternoon. So that's that's power. Oh, well, I suppose I mean if you look at the architecture of a certain cinema chain that I frequent's website, then uh, it's probably not that hard. I could probably do it. <laughs> so, yeah. and I'm not putting that down as a challenge, um, and I'm not going to rubbish the chain itself, but it's not a good website. People that listen, will probably have an idea of what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's my meal before. Avengers Endgame. A bit of a cheat, because obviously I'm looking forward to it, but uh, it's our version of a trailer breakdown. I mean, I haven't really said anything about the trailer, but yeah, that's it. Buzzing. Absolutely buzzing. So, on to Rise Against.
1: Alright, I am rising, rising against um, the, the first trailer, and and just generally the, the whole concept um, of the Pennyworth series. Um, now, now, this is a, a series which is, uh, which is being touted as a prequel to Gotham. Yeah, but it's, it's is is it, it
0: actually a prequel to Gotham?
1: Well, that's what it's, well, that's what it's be, it's been it's been, written, been written in places. And, yes, and for sake of any, for sake of anyone who might not know this is a series of is about a uh, young Alfred Pennyworth who's was, was like the, the 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 butler of Batman,
0: Butler, yes. surrogate father, chief identity keeper, you know all that stuff. Voice of reason, and the
1: the series will, will, be, will be focusing on on his younger years as a former S.E.S. soldier, and uh, get, uh, get, getting into various espina- espionage escapades, and I just don't care. <laughs> this is the simplest way I can put it. Um, I i yeah, because like, honestly, I think, is uh, honestly, I think Alfred is, is, is like is most interesting as as a as a character when uh, when when any part any aspect of his past is only alluded to. Yeah, but, yeah, cause, yeah, because I think is I think the I think the vaguer it stays about. Uh, about about the things that he's done than the person that he was, in the, in the, uh, actually 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 makes him a, a more interesting person that way, uh, and, and a, a more compelling character. Well,
0: it's always the problem with prequels, isn't it? Like the, I mean, I'm going to keep kicking Solo when it's down, but uh, like Han Solo was not interesting before A New Hope. That's the point. Like, you know, when they talk about um, the origin story for characters, is usually when you first meet them. So like. If a character is supposed to have some mystery around them, it's not because we're supposed to see that mystery. It's because they are supposed to be mysterious. That's how they were written. That's, you know, the, um, the idea. So this kind of strikes me a bit like that. It's, it's a story that nobody needs to see. Is it the same producers as Gotham, or does it, is there some crossover? I've not actually checked. Yeah, me neither. Um, who knows? Anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's, so the problem I have with this... I watched the trailer... Um, it just looks like a kind of spy TV show that just happens to have a character called Alfred Pennyworth in it. So your audience is obviously, the audience you're looking for are Batman fans, right? So they'll get, what, two episodes in and realise there is no Batman stuff in this. Like, nothing I like about the Batman mythos is here. Other than they mention, like, Cities that are not real in our world, or or whatever else, or countries that aren't real. You know, he'll get you know, Court of Maltese because that's a country that only <laughs> exists in DC, and and stuff like that. It's like who cares? Um, but he's just doing spy stuff because you can't have any of the weird crap because that doesn't kick in until much later, unless they are going to have like a load of weird stuff in there. In which case, it's going to be this. Like we should have had a Batman decades ago. Yeah, so it's it's kind of nonsensical in that respect so it's just a spy show with a guy called Alfred in it and I suppose the connection to Batman will be very slight um, yeah,
1: if, if if at all any
0: yeah and it's you know when they they had visions of Gotham being a gritty police procedural in it's first season and it turns out the writers were nowhere near capable enough of delivering that uh, and also yeah it's just their tone was all over the place and eventually they just decided to introduce all the Batman stuff anyway just because you know that's what fans want but you won't be able to do that here um I'm looking forward to the episode titled A Ruby the Size of a Tangerine. So that'll be my favourite episode, I've decided. He does sound a bit Michael Caine-esque when he talks, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I, I, did, I did pick up pick up on that, yeah.
0: yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I'm not looking forward to this. I probably won't even watch it. Um, I wonder how far in advance the, the joke in Teen Titans Go to the Movies about Batman's butler as a movie Predates the actual <laughs> green lighting of this TV series because it could be one of those things where, you're like, holy crap, that actually happened,
1: <laughs> or perhaps, perhaps, uh, someone, someone watched the uh, Teen Times Got movies. and thought, hang on a minute. Well,
0: We've if you, not you think about it, if you think about how far in advance an animated movie script would be written and they'd start recording it and animating it and stuff like that, you know, it's you're probably talking well in advance of when the the thing was announced, uh, when that joke existed not so much when it was played to the public but that joke probably existed long before the series was announced so that's something to think about we can look forward to the Batmobile and the utility belt solo stuff in the near future Batmobile will be like Knight Rider but with the Batmobile which might be alright actually I was just thinking
1: I might actually watch that (laughs)
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah not looking forward to that either it's a good rise against I'd forgotten about that, otherwise I would have been annoyed that you poached mine. Mm. Uh, instead, my one is something I'm far more annoyed at. But I'm not that bothered by it, to be honest. But uh, Sonequa Martin-Green has announced, or well, she hasn't announced, it has been announced that she's going to appear in Space Jam 2. It's, haven't you got better things to do? Like, I mean, you're doing well in Star Trek Discovery. Why are you sullying yourself with this obvious crap? Like, There's no way this can be good, surely. I mean, the first Space Jam isn't good. I don't care what anybody says. It's terrible. Uh, I had some novelty value out of it when I was a kid because it had Looney Tunes interacting with uh, real people. Um, But I I actually watched it like a year ago and I was was bored to tears because it was so bad. Uh, So we're getting another one of these, which is starring LeBron James and Sonequa Martin-Green's going to be in it. And why? I mean, when was the last time you heard anything about the, the Looney Tunes? Anyway, like... I suppose they're due for a comeback, but are they still a thing that's kicking about? Does anyone I... care anymore? I have no idea, actually. I mean, I can't remember the last time I actually gave them any thought. Yeah. I think I saw a Daffy Duck short on front of a film a few years ago, but I don't know what film it was. or um, Yeah. So that's, I mean, come on, Sneak with Martin Green, you're you're doing really well in your career, you know. You're the lead of a, a hit TV series. Is this like Stephen Amell doing Ninja Turtles, just slumming it to pay off a beach house? <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I could really use a, a, a beach house retreat. So I'm going to do this crappy film because I'm getting paid a lot for it. I don't know. Uh, so that's it. Space Jam Two in general, and the fact that someone who's actually really good's going to be in it. That's a shame. What a waste of time for her.
1: Yeah, that, that pretty much echoes my sentiment on, on the issue. <laughs> like, uh, f- a film that I don't care about that has no need to exist, uh, and wasting the talents of, some, of somebody who, who far transcends it.
0: Yeah. Right, so the, here endeth the segment, and now we can get on to our main topic. We are here to talk about the first two Hellboy films, well, the only two Hellboy films, as, as of the time of recording. So, before we get into spoilers for these films that are quite old, um just wanted to hear your general thoughts on the two films, maybe as a collective or individually. So, what do you think of them?
1: Well, I, I, I really, really like them. It's quite helped uh, that Guillermo del Toro is just one of my all-time favourite directors. I think he's just got this, this like, spectacular, weird vision of... of this just just uh, surreal fan- phantasmagorical imagination like it can just seemingly conjure up all all, all man- manner of like twisted abominations from nothing in it and then you know, and, and then do what's necessary to, to actually visually realize them well uh, as well as that there are also comic book films which is a good thing and and also have uh, heavy heavy elements of fantasy and horror which are also some of my favorite things
0: cool. Yeah, um, so I like the films as well, although one thing I was struck by when I was re-watching them over the weekend is the first one ain't actually that good, I don't think. And um, we'll get into why that is, why I think that uh, once we hit the spoiler section. Um, but I was kind of... I mean, maybe by in comparison to the second one, certainly it's, um, it, it's a piece of crap, really. It just it doesn't hold a candle to it. And I think there are reasons for that. And I mean, it will all be supposition, but get into that as well. But yeah, the really good films. I think uh, Ron Perelman is the sort of actor to play that kind of role. You know, if you're going to put a guy under heavy makeup, he's a funny looking guy. Uh, I hope he doesn't hear me say that. Um, Cause you know, he, he could probably tear me to pieces. I've actually met him once. Um, that's an experience that was uh, underwhelming to say the least, but that's another story. Uh if listeners want to hear it, then they they can donate, and I'll um, I'll tell the story on a later podcast, and hope he doesn't hear it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, Ron Perlman's great in that that role. I think um, you know it's got a good they've got kind of a good tone to them. The cast are really good. The world that's built is is really good. Um, I haven't I have read volume one of the comics, uh, but that's as far as I've ever got. So I don't really know or really remember how well they connect I mean I'm to understand that the writer of the comic was involved heavily in the film and was quite happy to have it changed because he wanted fans of both to have a distinct experience which is fair enough plus when you adapt stuff you have to change it anyway so uh, otherwise it's you know there's stuff that just doesn't work uh, on screen as it does in a comic but yeah good films hence why I'm talking about them um so on that note I think we could just use the big stone right hand, fist to, to right unlock hand of doom the right hand to do of doom to unlock the the spoiler dimension and see what tentacle goodness is in there. Uh any objections? No, let's do it. Yeah let's bring upon the spoiler apocalypse. So first up is our Q&A section. We have two questions, uh so that won't take as long, hopefully. The first is from Stephen, who said Which movie did you enjoy most? Would you have preferred Hellboy 3, or are you pleased that they've opted to reboot? So I've already answered part of that in the previous section, where I said the second one is by far the best of the two. Uh, I do feel that we've missed out on a bit of Hellboy 3. Um, Hellboy 2 certainly alluded to something that was you know, that could have been really interesting and really um, well, I'm not going to say life-changing, or landscape changing but you know it was setting up for something that was going to be weighty certainly uh, but the reboot i think the reboot actually looks better than the first one after having rewatched the first one with, without my nostalgia glasses certainly the second trailer is a lot better so the reboot's fine i think all hope of hellboy 3 was was gone years ago um it's just one of those things that was just never going to get made, unfortunately. So, I would have liked to see it though. And how about yourself?
1: Yeah, well, I I certainly agree that the the second one is is by far and away the better of the two. Yeah, you know, I, I actually had a similar experience uh, re rewatching the first one, because because I I hadn't seen it in in quite in quite a few years, and I did pick up on some shortcomings that the had, which I. Previously, either not not noticed or just decided to overlook, or forgot about that too.
0: Yeah, because
1: yeah, the the first film is is a, a very very much a horror comic book movie, which is no bad, bad thing in, in of itself. But the scope of imagination in in, in the second film it was was just far more compelling and just something with significantly more re- re- rewatch value. Yeah, and I, I would have I would have liked for, for there to have been a Hellboy three. Though I accepted ages ago that that it wasn't ever going to happen. Uh, partly because of, of the number of projects that, that Guillermo del Toro actually uh, gets gets involved in and then drops out of. And though there's always at least half a dozen things that they, they're he's talking about, about doing. And uh, for only one or two of them to, to ever amount to anything.
0: Yeah, could you not have made Tellboy 3 instead of Crimson Peak? Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't think Crimson Peak's that bad, but you know that's another story. But I think uh, I'd have rather seen Hellboy three.
1: Yeah, yeah well, and and certainly with the way that Hellboy two ended, I mean, it, it was clear that, that there were ideas in, in place for where it's going to go, and I I, w- and I would have liked to have seen them realised.
0: Yeah, I think the first one existed in a very different landscape to the second one as well. You know, the first one was kind of in the midst of this comic book renaissance that we're never leaving. Um, or seemingly never leaving so it's kind of the fact that it got to be as faithful to the original concept as it did is a minor miracle in itself because I was reading over the trivia and there was stuff like early drafts of the script had Hellboy be a guy that turns into Hellboy and you know all this kind of stuff
1: oh god Uh, i have forgotten about that
0: yeah um, and it's like it's one of those things that when you read over it it's like can you imagine if this madness was made but then you look at other comic book adaptations and you think yeah, I've seen comic book adaptations that have as little to do with the source material as this would have. And uh, they're always like poorly remembered because of that. You know, because that, why did they make this change? It makes no sense. Um, but I think there was some kind of a bit of testing of the water and it seems like there was a lot of compromise on Del Toro's part uh, in terms of making this film. You know, the uh, the Myers character probably yeah. wouldn't have existed in his... His version of the film, you know, I think that was a studio note.
1: Yeah, I, I certainly think so. Yeah, because yeah, because his only purpose was, was to, to to act, act uh, as an, an audience surrogate.
0: Yeah, he's yeah. the guy that walks in and asks all the questions. He's Fry. You know, he's exactly. The guy, he's the guy that doesn't belong to this world and and has to get find a way to live in it. And
1: yeah, but he, he, even when you're watching him in, in the film, like it's clear that he actually has no purpose. His his very presence is completely unnecessary.
0: Yeah, um I I think we'll get on to some of the things I like about what they did with them um later on once we once we talk a bit more about it. But uh, to answer Stephen's question, Hellboy Two unanimously and we would have liked to see Hellboy three, but it was just never going to happen. Uh, what about the reboot? What do you think of that as a concept?
1: As a concept, I'm quite quite happy about it because because uh, it, it means it means we're get, we're getting more Hellboy, even, even though it's uh, about a decade late. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm happy that, that there is going to be more of it, and I'm also happy that that the second trailer uh, con- confirmed my my suspicions that uh, that, they, that, that the emphasis on, on, on humour in, in in the first trailer what wasn't was gonna be wasn't going to be the tone of the entire film.
0: What if both trailers are nothing to do with the tone of the entire <laughs> film? They're just both they both showcase something that's wrong. You know, like they, they both showcase exactly what you're not gonna get. We've all seen that film. Where you see three trailers with different tones and you're like, uh, none of these are the film we're gonna get. Some of the imagery in the the trailer is really cool. Hellboy carrying a sword While he's on fire riding a flaming dragon. Riding a dragon through like an apocalyptic landscape. It's like a heavy metal album cover. It just looks looks cool, if nothing else. And we'll find out sort of next week what there is to say about it. So that's fun. Hopefully we'll get a podcast about that one as well. Good or bad. So let's move on to our next question. From Ronnie. A common question asker. Uh, both Stephen and Ronnie are both common question askers so thank you for continually pitching in, it's much appreciated Uh, Ronnie says, not so much about the movies, but why were the direct-to-DVD Hellboy animated films discontinued after only two releases Uh, I did make sure to point out that we are not in any way affiliated with those that make these films Uh, so what we're going to do is we'll bat around a few ideas and try to sound clever uh, in, in coming up with theories so that's the best we can do um, I'm going to guess that they just didn't sell that well. That seems to be the biggest reason for cancelling everything, right? Not making enough money, so we won't make any more of them. Um, the other possibility is the production team just didn't want to make any more. I think maybe Del Toro was too busy to produce them. Did he write them? I don't know. Um, I know he was involved.
1: I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it was a financial decision. Uh, I do know that, uh, one of the one of the reasons why... Uh, why Hellboy three uh, never actually materialised was because it, because the studio uh, de- deemed that it wasn't go- wasn't going to be profitable enough. But I think with, with with each of the films when when they were released in cinemas they made back the the budget of of the film and very little else. And it was only with the home release that um, that they uh, made made any 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 kind of profit off it. But uh, really, wasn't wasn't that much by by Hollywood standards. So, so it's I think so the
0: dread for a, a modern example, or a, a sort of modern example. Yeah,
1: God, I'm still so annoyed about that because I, I love that film and I wanted more of it.
0: Well, we might be getting the TV series in Carl Urban, apparently, as first refusal. So, you know, can We can only hope?
1: We can um, hope so, so I think with the with the animated films, I just assumed that that they didn't didn't make enough money, uh, possibly not even 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 making back the, the amount of money that it, it took to to meet them in the first place, yeah, but i either way, with the the studio just deciding that it wasn't worth the effort
0: yeah i have seen both of them, but i only really remember the one where you got like stuck in the past and it's apparently just a done thing just occasionally he'll just fall through a time loop and we'll have to just wait until he makes his way back the slow way uh, that's the only thing I remember about it I also remember it not being that good but um, or I didn't like it that much but to understand it's a bit more faithful to the comics in terms of just the, the world that it's it takes place in although it borrows elements from the film such as Ron Perlman's voice and uh, I think Doug Jones' voice as well John Hart yes, narrates yeah. them, doesn't he, or he narrates the opening to them. Um, so, I guess it's the closest adaptation you'll ever get of the comic book, maybe, or at least for now. Or just a random comic book story. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, they didn't seem that kind of high, high tension, high stakes. They just seemed like a day at the office at the BPRD.
1: Yes, and majority of of those days, um, in. And involve Hellboy getting into fights with massive mythological entities. Yeah, fair news.
0: So that's our take, Ronnie. Um, I'm guessing he wants to see more of them. Maybe with this we'll get more of them. I don't know. Maybe a Netflix animated series. Who knows? Netflix like doing things. We shall see. If not, read the comics and, and uh, do the voices, I guess. Try your best Ron Perlman impression. Well, that's the end of our Q&A section, so we can get on to the rest of our discussion. Talk a bit about the first film, because this is our introduction to the world of Hellboy. Um, It opens up with, you know, the classic prologue sequence, which is on on an unnamed island off the coast of Scotland, the Nazis are, for whatever reason, building a portal to the underworld... On this particular island, um, and that's what—that's how Hellboy gets through. It introduces you to the major villains. You get to see a young John Hurt. You get to see some ignorant Americans. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty on the nose. The what are you talking about? Why, we don't believe in magic, despite the fact that we are here to stop magic. It's—it's uh, it's quite a cool opening. Quite visually impressive. It gives you kind of. It gives you a start to Hellboy. It introduces you to his love of chocolate. I suppose it sets the tone for the, the supernatural-ish, but almost steampunk-style, you know, techno, techno fantasy type stuff. Like the, the, I like the way technology interacts with fantasy in this, in these films. So you, know, it's it's a bit like supernatural in that sense, where it's like I've made these bullets out of all this stuff that can kill mystical creatures. It's like okay, that's what they do in supernatural as well. So, um. I like all that stuff. Uh, is the prologue faithful to what it is in the comic? I suspect it kind of is. Um, it is actually,
1: yeah. I mean, it's actually the most comics faithful sequence in in, in the entire film. Kind of. Um. In, in terms of there being a ritual, anyway. Though in the comics, Rasputin has has this like like a really really lengthy uh, lengthy monologue calling on like various cosmic powers to like to, to grant him the ability to to crack open this.
0: Portal and gateway. So, are all the villains there like Cronin and the Nazi dominatrix woman? Uh,
1: yeah, Elsa. They are. Yeah, though Cronin is is actually, is actually far more interesting in, in the film because uh, uh, just in comics he, he's just uh, like a random scientist who wears a gas mask because reasons. The whole thing about him being a, a quasi immortal. Clockwork Automaton, um, like, like is 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 a, is a, a complete complete
0: invention of, of the film. In my notes, I've got Ninja Sandbag.
1: <laughs> I like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, fair enough. But that's so that's our introduction to Hellboy or how he gets to Earth. With you know, it doesn't give you a lot of context as to what's going on, really. But uh, from there, you get an introduction to um, the the world through. Well, I suppose it's at first it's through kind of news reports you know you've got Manning uh, sitting on the news being like look at this picture of Hellboy why is it so blurry Um, which is a fair point when it comes to debunking, you know sightings of the Loch Ness Monster or aliens or whatever else it's like why in this age of HD cameras are we still looking at blurry out of focus proof of all this weird stuff that goes on Um, and so it's the idea that there is a kind of urban legend around him, but he isn't known to the public, so that's, that's quite succinct and quite clever and, and very quick to kind of get you up to the, okay, there's a secret to be to be had here, people are kind of aware, but not aware it's an urban myth, you know it's, um, it's the X-Files so to speak uh, so it's one of those things, I'm guessing that people are on the internet on a Hellboy forum speculating about him although I don't know because the BPRD call him by Hellboy, so how did the public get that name? That's a question. Hmm.
1: Yeah. That's, that's just one of the things I never
0: thought about. Yeah. Unless they overhear one of the agents talk about it, or someone who left the BPRD in disgrace started talking about Hellboy and it stuck. Who knows? Thinking too much about it. Um. But we get our introduction to John Myers, who is our token human, because we need a token human. Uh, he shows up at the. The secret base, which is uh, a very badly labelled thing. What's it? Sanitation or something? You're
1: yeah, like waste management. Or waste
0: management. Yeah. Something, uh, something
1: to do with like rubbish or.
0: Stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a bit men and blackish in that way. I think you know you've got all the, this hidden organisation that lives underneath our world, that you don't know about. That's constantly saving us and and dealing with all the stuff that humans aren't ready to. Um, to accept so I don't know which came first the Men in Black or, or Hellboy but there's some clear influence there whether it's in one direction or the other
1: it is certainly a, a standard setup of,
0: of having the clueless normal turn
1: up for the first day of work at, 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 the, at the clandestine government division which may, 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 or may or may not exist and then having the inner, inner workings of it explained to him and, and through him to us the audience yeah.
0: I don't really buy that. Why John Hurt would assume that he's like the worthy successor to him, as as Hellboy's counterpoint, or I mean, as as someone who can handle him. You don't really see much evidence of of why he was handpicked. But I suppose you don't really get a sense of who uh, Broom is. It Broom yeah. is as a character is either. You know, he's just a, a vaguely John Hurtish white wise man um, who kind of is there to have the answer in that particular moment. So it's, you know, you need to get rid of that character to have the other characters stand on their own. So I guess Hellboy is, is very much dependent on his father at this, still at this point in his life. and um, I'm not sure why Myers in particular would be selected to fill that void or or give him the next step. I mean, the, the character is clearly there because the studio said, you can't have a film about uh, a fish man and uh, a big red guy and a girl that sets herself on fire, you need to have a normal person that the audience can relate to, but isn't the point of hellboy is that he's a normal guy he's a working class guy that you're be able to should be able to relate to or at least on some level assuming you're a working class guy
1: well that's that's certainly been uh been my perspective of it and uh, i did, did really re- think when just just when re rewatching it that there there isn't very much um uh, that that gets explicitly explained to myers um but we, uh, which um, which which couldn't have have i have either either been uh, been inferred by, by by the audience without explanation um or or just simply come up nat- naturally in in dialogue
0: yeah yeah because it's one of those things I mean the the BPRD is very visually distinct, so you kind of get an impression of what goes on there just by just by looking around. Um, you get the impression that Hellboy is just a normal guy because he already has that close friendship with that agent guy, the the guy that has like hair ex- a hairpiece yeah. in or something. I forget his name, but he Clay. dies. Clay, yeah, um, and there was an especially good point later in the film where. Um, where Clay's like, you don't think it's too whatever, and he's like, I'm thinking of doing it myself. And it's just it's just banter, you know, between two people that know each other well, and it gives you a sense of Hellboy's humanity, it gives you a sense of uh, how familiar Clay is with them, and just how normal this kind of situation is for them as well. So, yeah, I don't... I think Men in Black does this person from outside coming into this world a lot better, because they hit the ground running, whereas this film wastes a lot of time with just cutting about telling us stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean and and there's, and there's also, also the a problem that is, is that a part of the point of of Myers's character is for him to not have a clue what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and for and for and for, for someone like who 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 is stated um is is intended like to to be a significant part of of the bureau going, going forwards. Yeah, and then for him to to show up and just be utterly clueless, I mean, it it doesn't it uh, uh, doesn't really doesn't give you a great deal of confidence in his competence or abilities.
0: There are points where he is really competent. You know when he's, he's he's clearly brave in a crisis and he adapts to dealing with these monsters fairly well. So there's a suggestion that he is essentially the top of his class. Um, but they also want to have him be like to by the book. So you can't have it both ways. Like, surely someone coming in to deal with Hellboy would have to have kind of a an understanding of the rules, but also a healthy disregard for them as well. So, you know, to help him find that kind of middle ground. But he has played as the kind of stuffed shirt at first. But there's kind of just a lot of stuff we don't need explained, like rotten eggs. It's like, yeah, I know what a rotten egg looks like. <laughs> um he reads four books a day. It's like, I know, I can see that. It's four books on the pedestals and that bit always annoys me because it's like what someone has to like turn the page every couple of minutes yeah
1: yeah yeah I mean does, does I just need to be, be someone, someone standing there all day
0: turning yeah. pages yeah and it's like it'll be every like five minutes as well it's like I've read that I've read that I've read like, that's that's a rubbish job
1: yes and, and especially when it's established um, how much time Abe spends outside his tank I mean there's really not any need for him to actually to read him on a pedestal while he's swimming.
0: Yeah, I suppose. I guess I get the get the impression that he's far more comfortable inside his tank. Although he doesn't, he's not in his tank at all in the second one, is he? Don't think so. Yeah, and it gets to a point in this film where he's not in it again as well. Um, towards the end, so. I think it's one of those um, highfalutin introductions that's like, well, look at this, a really intelligent creature. It can read four books at once. It's like, okay. Well, yeah, but it's still idiotic because you're turning the pages like one at a time every five minutes. So it's someone's whose job to do that. Uh, why? <laughs> yeah. Plus, they've already established that they've got like advanced technology, like screen wise. So, you know, you can have some kind of. Screen that he talks to, you know screen one turn page, something like that, uh whatever it is what it is, but um having david Hyde Pierce's voice on was was pretty good i don't know why they didn't want Doug Jones doing the voice. there was a period of that where he did a lot of physical performances, but he never spoke
1: yeah well i mean i think I think it was i, I uh, that, at that time uh like the, like the the studio people uh, weren't weren't convinced that that he was a good enough actor. Like to convince w- with the with the voice um, aspect as, as well as the physical performance, and, and, and it was only, only after a while we give him the chance to do so. Um, then, then he was like, able able to, able to able to prove that, that he is decent enough, like to to do the, the entire role himself without needing to be dubbed.
0: Yeah, I mean, Doug Jones is is great. He's great in Discovery, as in Star Trek Discovery. He is. Yeah, and he was good in the second one as well. I think he was trying to copy David Hyde Pierce's voice as much as possible to assure continuity between the two films to some degree.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. In, in I, I, I was talking like to, to be to be the, the the other way around. I, I the um but like like in the first one that David Hyde Pierce was, was was trying was trying to trying to mimic Doug Jones's voice. Oh, because and, and there is also a thing that he 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 he, he didn't he didn't uh, want want to be credited like for for the role, uh, because because he felt that like the the Doug Jones like was the, was the entire performance.
0: Hmm. And I suspect on set he would be saying the lines anyway, um, and people would be kind of bouncing off him, and then it would get dubbed later on.
1: Well, I assume so.
0: Yeah. Um, I think the introduction of Abe, despite all that weird like, nonsense, is, is pretty good. And it's it's quite telling that, I mean, you, ignoring the prologue, it's quite telling that the first paranormal character you meet isn't Hellboy. It's like someone else, so it immediately tells you, this world is way bigger than you thought it was already, because it's a film called Hellboy and we haven't seen him yet, other than that little child in the in the prologue.
1: Um, yeah, exactly and it's and it's, it's firmly firmly establishing that this world isn't just Hellboy. Like like it, it extends beyond him and exists independently of him.
0: Yeah. Which is good. Um Which is good. It gives you that, that scope already. And it's a testament to how good El Toro is as a storyteller, how about he kinda of drip feature. I mean I think there's there's a lot of stuff that's on the nose, but a lot of really subtle stuff as well. I mean, Hellboy's introduction itself is—it's far from subtle, which it's kind of supposed to be. Uh, it's, its very much supposed to be just off the chain. It's like, look at this. This is mental. There's, you know, there's like bacon everywhere. There's pancakes everywhere. There's cats everywhere, for some reason. Uh, and the immediate, like, immediately, just seems like a, a standoffish guy. He's like, "Who's this guy? Get him out of here." So. You're almost, well, not quite afraid of him, or you're not, but you're supposed to be a bit kind of wary, off put, yeah, put off in, in some way. You know, he's he's somewhat off putting, and, and that's good. And I think you do see that from Meyer's perspective because it is your first introduction to the adult hellboy, and it's like, oh, God, what am I in for here?
1: Uh, and then you you get the moment where he just is just, just like, he's real. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, so he, he, would have, he would have been aware of the urban myth of, of Hellboy, probably, but it was probably something that, that he that he had dismissed, like like, like as like as as a, as a, as a hoax or, or or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, and obviously the Hellboy and Myers, they have a a bit of a getting to know you arc, and by the end they're. At least it's established that they've kind of worked out some form of an understanding that will allow them allow them to work together. Um, But it kind of happens because the film needs it to happen rather than it happens on its own. Because there is a point where he just randomly accepts him for no reason. It's not really built up. It's not really explained. Um, It kind of works. uh, Kind of doesn't. I suppose he's, you know, all these other human friends have been killed, so he might as well, uh, might as well get used to this guy. And then he's dismissed with an almost off-screen line in the second film. It's so like you got him transferred to Antarctica. It's like, well, he said he liked the cold, and, mm-hmm. but how would Hellboy have the power to do that? He has like no like influence within the organization. How would he have got him like transferred?
1: I don't think that that was something we were supposed to think too much about. It was, like, it was, it was more just, just like a brief justification and a- acknowledgement that the character would not be in there.
0: Yeah, and of course Myers is also there for a love triangle, my least favorite thing in fiction. Yes. Um, although it would it would serve him well in preparation for his current role on the CW, where he is the white lighter to the Charmed ones. It's that actor. Uh, I forget his name, but that's him. He hasn't aged that much, actually, since that film, so good so on so him, I suppose. So Sorry, what, what's again? Uh, Charmed. Oh, right. The new one.
1: Oh, oh uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah. All right, all right. no, I've, I've actually not watched that at all.
0: I'm um, up to date with it for some reason. It's like <laughs> car crash TV, but <laughs> it's kind of enjoying, enjoyingly car crash TV in some respects. Uh, but yeah the love triangle so you introduce Liz who sets herself on fire um, or sets other things on fire she doesn't actually catch fire um, and it's kind of linked to some kind of psychological condition that we, we don't really find out that much about to be honest it's just that she sets, she catches fire and it upsets her that's about as deep as it goes she like killed her parents or something like that by accident when she was a kid
1: yeah because it's like a flashback flash nightmare yeah. I just seem to be implying that after being being be, uh, being being taunted by too much by some neighbourhood kids, that she just like she lost it and yes and kind of went nuclear.
0: Yeah, your basic X Men mutant origin type story. Uh, yeah,
1: yes, yes. I, I I can't control my powers, therefore I will be afraid of them and let them control me.
0: Yeah. Is she a character in the comics or?
1: She uh, she, she is yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was never any hint of romance between her and Hellboy that was something completely shoved into the film
0: and I think it works I think the relationship is natural enough you know the fact he sneaks out to go see her uh, and they just chat away Um, so it's clear there has been a relationship that she walked away from for her own reasons it works well enough I think in the second one it works better but in in that one it works well enough and then you've got Myers who is the symbol of normalcy who takes her a ride in a cab and takes her out for coffee as Hellboy stalks them and throws stones at them, uh, and has shares cookies with a kid, which is which is a great scene. Uh, but I don't really get much out of the Myers and Liz relationship. It doesn't work.
1: Oh, I think the point of it was was for Myers to just be an obstacle, because like with him representing the the normal life that Liz wants, oh. and where, whereas uh, being with Hellboy and Bureau was, was 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 somewhere like where where she belongs, but she like didn't didn't want to accept that.
0: Yeah, but she's clearly not interested in Myers at all. You know, any move he makes on her, she's like, "Oh, for God's sake!" Uh, which is it was really funny. So I don't think the obstacle thing works. I think Hellboy seeing things that aren't there, which is more the point. And I wonder if this part of Del Toro's. I don't want this character to be in my films. I'm not going to let him like achieve anything. I'm not going to let him get anywhere with Liz because I don't want that to happen. That was something I never needed in my film.
1: Although well, I would I would like to think that he w- wouldn't quite be that, that petty but <laughs> but yeah I can see that.
0: Yeah I mean it's suppose you get past it. It's like you said you wanted a love triangle. I gave you a love triangle so mm-hmm. fine. Like, he would sound a lot more Spanish when he said that though but uh, yeah it's it, it just doesn't really work because especially at the end when they're having that kind of when Myers is having that do you do you have feelings for me desperate conversation when they're in the catacombs of this uh, this this tomb wandering about it's just you know the puzzle um the puzzle tomb It'd be a great video game yeah
1: yeah yeah and Lizard's just like really you want to do this now
0: <laughs> yeah yeah and there's also a weird there's a weird point where she can't control her powers and is afraid of them, and then she's in full control of her powers and not afraid of them, and you never really get that midpoint where she be- gets to accept them.
1: Yeah, because it would have been it would have been her her acceptance of, of of her powers, which would have stopped stopped them from overwhelming her. Yeah, yeah. But as as you mentioned, there's there's not really any point any point where where we see that. So yeah. D- yeah, yeah so, so it just kind of comes out of nowhere.
0: Yeah, and why does our flame colour change between films? That bugs me. I don't know why it happens. Um,
1: um, perhaps uh, perhaps because because uh, orangey-yellow flame effects are cheaper than blue flame effects? I don't know, Maybe. I'm just guessing.
0: The blue flame effect was unique, though, because you, you wouldn't normally see that. And obviously a blue flame means it's perfect combustion, whereas a yellow flame is or orange flame is Imperfect uh, combustion.
1: Yes, which is something I vaguely remember from Sunday grade chemistry. (laughs) Yeah.
0: High school chemistry for the win. So the world that that Hellboy lives in, um, I mean, I've pointed out the, the little flourishes they do to help flesh it out, and you've got all this kind of, you know, they consult a book and it tells you everything you need to know about this monster. That's all good stuff. But I think the actual mythology of Hellboy himself is actually very poorly done in this film. It's okay. You're the key to this door. We'll open this door. This is your like destiny. But that's all they say about it. They don't say anything else. It doesn't give you any more than that. So you get this bit where it's you know he puts his arm in the lock because Liz might Liz will, Liz will die otherwise, which is you know the most boring motivation you can think of for anybody doing anything because it's it's always the case in these in 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 fantasy or. Sci fi or whatever, you know. The oh, look, the love of my life is in peril again. I must sacrifice myself for this, you know. It says, yes,
1: I, I must do this thing the villain wants to save their life.
0: Yeah, despite the fact he said, if you put your arm in this lock, the world will end. <laughs> it's, you know, priorities. The world <laughs> will end. By the way, Liz, kind of in that world too. So, either way, she's dead. Um, but they talk about him being like this. The Son of the fallen one, or whatever else, and that's all you get. you don't get what that means you don't get what his role in the apocalypse is. you don't get anything other than a kind of fantasy flash forward of him like sitting over a ruined world, but there's no context, so I found it difficult to care about what that means
1: i think the the idea was first of all just the the small uh, small details of of his of his backstory went. And we were only given them because they were the, they were the only parts which were relevant to this particular moment of of, of the story. Yeah, but uh, without any larger context in, in which to place them, then they, they just kind of become statements. Yeah, you're just hearing, uh, like, like, like the like the son, the son of the fallen one, um, and destined to bring about the, the destruction of the world, um. Yeah, and it's like yeah, okay, and it's like they're just, they're, just, they're just they just think that things doesn't go in any way beyond that.
0: Yeah, because I had a bunch of questions like, who is the fallen one? Why is being his son significant? Why does it have to be his big his big rock arm that opens the door? What is beyond this door? What happens in this apocalypse? What's he supposed to do? What does why does Rasputin want the apocalypse to happen? Like, what role will he play in that? It's it's just this, it's this kind of end of video game stuff at the end, and you don't really get any of the context. You know, as you said, I think it's um, it feels like they they almost ran out of money and couldn't finish the story, or ran out of time and couldn't finish the story, or or they they couldn't they
1: couldn't figure out a, a way to actually impart the information which wouldn't feel like a gigantic info dump.
0: Yeah, because I guess they wouldn't have the budget to do all the um, apocalyptic stuff. So, yeah, so it's disappointing in that respect, because it's just one of those things that that just kind of feels like empty stakes. Because in order to make the stakes feel real, you have to see that worst-case scenario play out and then have it resolved. And to be fair, it looks like the new film will do that. It does look like at least a portion of the film is set in this kind of wasteland of a world where... Hellboy has, at least in some part, accepted his "quote unquote" destiny and perhaps rejected it, which means flying around on a dragon with a big sword, Mm -hmm. which you know, heavy metal album cover thing. Whereas in
1: in in this film, like the, the only hint of like apocalyptic. Devastation—the way that we get well, there was a sky beam shooting off to, towards the moon, and then some Lovecraftian tentacles kind of spiralling down it.
0: Is this the first Skybeam? I, I
1: was actually—I was actually discussing that with Jana. Um, yeah, what uh, yeah, while we were re rewatching it, and and I, I was struggling to 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 think of an earlier example.
0: Yeah, it's one for you listeners, because I can't be bothered researching it. <laughs> Could be Hellboy. Who knows? Um, that was another thing I thought was a bit dull. Um was that oh look this other world is a giant tentacle monster? how thrilling uh and you know when he fights the the one that is birthed out of rasputin um alien style that grows you know really quickly and is defeated by a bunch of grenades and by blowing it up yeah, it's not all that threatening uh fine um it's design wise it's kind of boring it's just a mass of tentacles. And it's this it's this big mass of tentacles that's just hanging around outside the portal, just waiting to come in I know. uh I would expect more, and I think if del Toro made it now, it'd be mental you know the the design stuff that you'd see you'd see all sorts of weird stuff happen at that point
1: oh, absolutely as well as the as the other tentacles and uh, uh, and and eye and eyeballs it would just it would be like a fathomable hideous thing twisting around itself and uh, just like a, a something by the, something by its very very appearance that looks like some kind of unnatural abomination yeah like the, 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 this the, this just simply should, should should not exist in nature yeah and and it would look awesome
0: yeah definitely uh myers is really useful in that scene he's the one that tells remains hell by who he is. Uh, and then he rips his horns off, uh, which you know is a nice moment, and it, it gives Myers that hero moment. And I get the feeling that that's maybe what's supposed to set him apart from his father. I guess I don't know. Um, but I never got the impression of what kind of person his father was trying to make him be, or trying to help him become, because they don't share that much screen time. And then he's killed. Uh, he's killed because he just leaves the the uh, the ninja sandbag unattent- unattended. <laughs> Which is really stupid. Post a few guards, and strap them down. Well, to be fair, I mean,
1: it is actually more interaction than they have in the comics. So, um, in, in the in the 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 seed, the, seed of, the seed of Destruction comic, by like, like, where the where whole story originated, like uh, like Professor Broom was like dead by page ten. Yeah, because he was killed killed by some frog monster that like dried, uh, dried, dried his body out through these kind of like tentacle suckers.
0: Yeah, and as I was watching it, um. I actually thought that Manning would be the more interesting human character to focus this film on, because imagine he'd wandered into the BPRD just hating everything, and then he, you know, he could be pointing out all the stuff he hates, which gives you the explanation of that. Because um, I think when he's introduced uh, as a kind of the head of the organization after Broom's death, it's the it gets the impression that uh, nobody's going to like working for this guy, and I mean he's a bit of a, a buffoon early on. But then they mitigate that by Hellboy and him having that moment where they bond over how to light a cigar. <laughs>
1: yeah, so we're not so different after all.
0: Yeah. It's like, ah, I'll be using matches from now on. Thanks for that word of wisdom. Um, but there's also this thing, you know, all this stuff where he's like giving him orders and, and Hellboy's just ignoring them as well. Um, and there's a post credit scene where he's, where he's still stuck <laughs> underneath <laughs> the thing, which I didn't know existed until like a year ago or something.
1: Yeah. It's like guys,
0: I'm I'm still down here. Yeah, uh, that's it's funny. They all leave triumphant like the end and forget him. It's like, guys, where are you? <laughs> so that was a uh, that was funny. Uh, but I don't know. I'm I'm just trying to imagine the version of the film where Manning just walks in and he's just objecting to everything that goes on, and maybe Myers could be that. Although he's probably a bit young to be in that kind of a senior position.
1: And and also like, like with, with with the. Kind of like audience target characters—they're they're they're usually built up as um, as, as characters that the, the audience actually like and and identify with. Yeah, yeah, yeah Whereas the purpose of Manning was to be uh, be obnoxious and obstructive.
0: I like Hellboy's characterisation in this film. He's very much a child. Now they they say that he's barely out of his twenties in terms of how he's aging or whatever, which still seems a bit old if you think about it. If he's supposed to be like functionally immortal. Um, being barely out of his 20s when he's been on Earth for like 60 years at that point yeah so what he's only two thirds younger than he he's only half half his age you know half his physical age which seems a bit
1: yes and so like uh, be, uh, be, being being, uh, being out of his 20s uh, yet, yet, uh, yet sometimes acts like a excellent teenager yeah
0: hides in his room his room's a mess it's full of cats
1: and also and also uh, by what metric were they establishing that he was kind like, out of his twenties Because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's it's not it's not it's not like they have have got have got anything to, to compare him to
0: I suppose there might have been some psychologist uh who you know who evaluated his emotional age based on like human triggers I oh, that works, yeah. Um, although isn't Meyer supposed to be a bit of a psychologist as well I'm sure that's mentioned I think you're right yeah yeah Yeah. he's he's a bit of an afterthought but he has plenty to do actually and, and he has some good moments I mean I don't hate the character as much as I guess Hellboy hates him although they very much keep them at a distance until at the end where they're forced not to and then he's gone at the by the second film anyway um because the second film is very much, oh, you made Pan's Labyrinth, you make whatever the hell you want. Exactly, <laughs> and that's the thing the, the second film is such an expansion. Like the world is way bigger. Uh, there's so much more to it. The mythology is is hugely uh, expanded upon. You know, I like the kind of fairy tale uh, aspect to the second one. You've got the the beanstalk, you've got the the tooth fairy, all this stuff. You know the the. I mean, the troll market, there's so much in a single frame of that. It's just amazing. And, and the sort of larger lifestyle to it. And I kind of like the the contrast between the decay of the old world versus the the new world encroaching on it. So like when... Um, oh my God, I've forgotten the villain's name. Luke Goss. Noada. Yeah, so when Noada is talking to his father and the other people that are standing around, it's it's like autumnal imagery the the leaves are shedding they're falling on them yeah, it's just yeah. like decay uh, and it's the bit where he does his um you know his his sword play near the beginning and then as soon as he's finished the subway drives past uh, it just kind of gives you that contrast between yeah so this is old world and then here it's in the new world I love that I love that interplay between the two sides of it uh, it's 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 magical for want of a better word and I remember reading about before the film was coming out. Um, it must have been something like Empire Magazine or whatever, I was reading it and the, you know they were interviewing Del Toro about the second film and I remember at the time I was thinking that Hellboy was a film that I saw a couple of years ago that I quite liked and I was oh they're making a sequel and then the way Del Toro was talking about it and everything they were introducing and everything they were building uh, and making bigger, I was like, oh my god I can't wait to see this, he's like, G'd me up for this and I didn't know I wanted to see it uh, so, good job on that score and it it's just in, an incredibly good-looking film. Uh, just so much imagination throughout, and it's it's kind of what the first film should have been, really.
1: Yeah, I t- I totally agree. Because when you hire someone like Guillermo del Toro to to make a film, you you don't then immediately put uh, limitations on on how much of their imagination they they can use. Yeah, it's because in every one of like of the, of the creations like, of. Like, of, of like the uh, elves and trolls and and, 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 and like, like the magical creatures, uh, as they were generically referred to. There's just uh, so so much imagination and, and detail put put into uh, uh, to every one of them. I uh, say like uh, one throwaway joke where, uh, where said, oh, "Also, that's, like, a, a, cute, c- a cute baby, you've got there. It's like, I'm not a baby. I'm a tumor." Yeah, that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The thing, but yeah, but just just like like uh, small small details, like small details like that, as well as being quite a amusing moments, and the, and it, it makes you constantly reevaluate why like, like, what 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 you think you know, about everything everything that's going on. Yeah, yeah. And, and what it is you're actually looking at.
0: Yeah, and in some ways, the second film is very much just a day at the office as well. At least for some of it. I mean, it becomes fairly personal for Hellboy towards the end, but the the mission itself doesn't have hugely high stakes, at least at first. I mean, the Golden Army is obviously this this world-destroying force. Um, But all in all, it's like they're dealing with little micro-problems throughout eh, until they get to that point. So... I guess it's almost video game-esque in its structure in that that sense, you know, where it's like, we need to complete this level, fight this boss, complete this level, fight this boss. Find the troll market, you know, wear these goggles that let you see trolls and then they'll let you in, that kind of stuff. I like the sort of workman type style when it comes to these things, you know, like I love it at the start of a superhero film, where you see the kind of a normal day for that superhero, so like the Winter Soldier, it's like, yeah, he's going to fight some terrorists on a boat, that's what Captain America does all the time. Uh, Or... You know the Amazing Spider-Man too. He um, apparently gets a lot of people killed while he's quipping and trying to stop <laughs> stop stop a, a truck robbery. You know um, that, that's what he does on a normal day. So um, that's an
1: I, an important aspect of, I, of 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 stories like this is you you need some some kind of benchmark events like to establish why what, what is normal for for, for these characters. Yeah. Because otherwise, for all the viewers know, then they could be averting the, the apocalypse like uh, like once a fortnight, uh, and having to deal with these world-ending dangers uh, is is nothing new to them. But by showing them like like small situations, which is established as no, as no big deal for them, then when they continually escalate, then it becomes clearer as to uh, just how just how significant the the events are.
0: Yeah. For sure. In terms of like the, the continuing theme between the two films, I, I quite like the. You know, obviously, they set up the clandestine nature of the BPRD uh, early on. So it's like, yeah, it's the secret organisation. We drive around in a garbage truck that, <laughs> that gets let into like high, highly sensitive areas. It's like, I know that there's a police blockade, but we've got to empty those bins. So, mm. <laughs> and they make a joke about that in the first one where the news reporter is like, and now there's a garbage truck for some reason. Uh, or a bin lorry for UK listeners. Yes, bin lorry. I, I'm going to use that from now on. I prefer that. Yeah, so that's that kind of... It's the kind of weird thing. So, it's, okay, yes, you're hidden, but you're also drawing a lot of attention to yourself because why would they be letting this vehicle in during this situation?
1: Yeah, I think the, the idea of that was just because bin lorries are things which like people see and, and then immediately disregard as yeah. unimportant. Plus, they're huge, so it can be like a operating
0: base of some kind.
1: Yeah, he has a have, have a have all, all, all manner of monitors and scanning equipment yeah. hidden, hidden inside them.
0: Is that kind of stuff in the comics as well?
1: Not so not so much, actually. the The comics are they're far more kind of fantasy. There's not there's not too much meeting of, of the modern world and the the worlds of folklore that all all creatures that populate them c- hmm. uh, c- come from.
0: All right, so the, the films are very different in that sense. Yeah. But I like the continuing theme of Hellboy's desire for recognition in both films. He, you know, he wants to, he wants people to know what he does for them, and it's it's a bit of an arrogance thing on his part. But I think it's also a bit of a frustration part about I'm saving this world every day and I don't get to interact with it, and that's not fair. So you know, they turn it into a bit of a joke at the start of the second one, where it's like, look, he posed for this photo, and he's doing the peace sign as he's, you know, he's posing for this candid photo that um, that Manning has to go to great lengths to suppress and it's hilarious, and then obviously he gets himself thrown out the window so that loads of people see him in a public setting, although as many people saw him in the first film and the secret didn't get out you know, he was running through a parade, he was in a busy train station, so like, I'm not sure what about that crowd was more risky than the other crowds that he was seen in
1: I don't think there was any more significance in in the practical sense uh, uh, between between those occurrences in in the two films. It's just in the second one uh, because that's more significant aspect of the plot then uh, that gets dwelled upon afterwards.
0: Yeah, although it weirdly comes and goes from the story. I mean, you've got people like shouting rude comments at them throughout uh or at least on a couple of examples. And then you have that moment where um where Noadas tells him you've got more in common with this beanstalk monster than you do with human beings uh, and you're just going to kill it and then and obviously you have the the feared reaction uh after that where where people are terrified of him and and resent him but it's not it's not a huge focus of the of the plot as such you know you would think the the acceptance angle could be a film in itself really
1: yeah, because the the significant uh, thing about, about Hellboy is is because he 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 thinks he thinks and acts like a human is just, it's just uh, because 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 he, he he was he was he was raised as one. Yeah, and so to him, the fact that he's this big red de- demonic caricature is is completely incidental to who he is. Yeah. Yes, and and the fact that other people can't see that is frustrating for him. Mm -hmm. he just wants to be accepted for for, for the person that that, that it feels like, rather than what he looks like.
0: And he kind of puts that behind him later in the film as well. Like At the end it's the us freaks together kind of stance that he takes. It's when Liz directly challenges him to say, am I not enough? Why do you need everybody to like you? And then by the end he's like, you know what, we're just going to live away from people, we're going to raise our kids uh, and I'm happy with that. That's fine. I'm also keeping the gun because I like the gun, but yeah, I don't want to be part of that world anymore. Yeah. I mean that's again it's a that would be the resolution to an arc in a film that's about that, but it's kind of one of those you know it's one of those weird It hits the um it hits the headlines but doesn't really give you the story.
1: I think, I think that if it had actually been like I like an, an important part of the part of the plot rather than something that just periodically weaves in, in and out of it, then that ending would have been far more significant just in, in terms of how it was played, it was just kind of something that happened.
0: Yeah, and I think the second film works so much better when you have it. it's the gang of freaks. You know, so to speak. And freaks in inverted commas. I mean, they're not freaks, they're just people, but they look different. But uh, The fact is, they focused on their characters, their relationships and everything like that. And, you know, you get to see Abe let his hair down a bit when he's uh, when he falls in love with the first woman he sees. <laughs> because that's what, that's what happens. And then he gets drunk and and, and they sing which is you know which is a delightful scene it's hilarious it, yeah and it just captures the humanity as well of these of these creatures uh, that aren't human but are human um, and I love the kind of reaction shots of the people throughout the uh, their base as they hear the music sort of reverberate <laughs> through the halls they're like what the hell is that
1: it's like like who's playing barman Lowe so loudly like, like, I hear this <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and then um, the dialogue in that scene is, is first-rate as well. The book, you know, it's, you're in love, have a beer. Just so perfectly delivered. And then it's the, my body's a temple. No, it's an amusement park. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, I love that. I have used that line so many times since then. It's one of those just, yeah, I can't, uh, bring it up every now and again. Every time someone says, my body's a temple, I hit back with that. In terms of the the villain as well, I think the first film is very weak in the villain stakes is very much the comic book villain we need someone for the the guys to oppose and I think like Rasputin and his gang could have been more interesting if there was a bit more focus on the mythology surrounding them but as such he's just a like an immortal guy that wants to end the world for reasons
1: yeah, because that's what villains do
0: Yeah. whereas at least in the second film Noada had much more uh, much more focus on his motivations it's like he wanted the he wanted his world to be back on top because he was sick of hiding in the shadows and watching his people die and he saw the golden army as being the way to do that, which obviously was identified as being terrible you know, a terrible idea because it was just it was a plague on the world before you know the, the goblin says it was the worst thing he ever created they couldn't control it or it could be controlled but the, the power obviously goes to the, the wielder's head.
1: But uh, since Noadas spent presumably thousands of, like of, of years watching like the the, the world be slowly destroyed by, yeah. by 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 humanity's march of progress, yeah, then he j- just re- reached a point where he just where he feels that the any way of de- of de- dealing with them is is uh, just justifies itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of been driven mad, and he feels like his extreme methods are. Um, are the best way to do it, and there's so much depth to it as well. Like the point he makes about um, the the giant beanstalk creature, uh, it's the last of its kind. You should pity it more than kill it, and um, its death is played like a tragedy. Oh. You know, I was reminded of the game Shadow of the Colossus. Uh, it's you've killed this huge, dangerous thing, but also this huge, unique thing. You know, there'll never be another thing like it.
1: That was that's one thing that I absolutely loved about that scene. Yeah, is.
0: It could so very very
1: easily have just been uh, just another battle against a generic CGI monstrosity. Yeah. Where it was clearly established that this like a thing it, it it shouldn't have needed to have been destroyed, and the very fact that something like that existed like like should sh- should have been a, a marvel in, in, in itself. And then and there's shots of like wherever it was bleeding, then uh, the, um then this like beautiful plant life was like immediately yeah. spring,
0: springing up. Yeah, then when it died, like Lower Manhattan was covered in vegetation.
1: Yeah, yeah. I just, I just thought I thought it was, like it was absolutely beautiful. like yeah.
0: the, the the way that it was filmed, although Noada using it to prove a point is a bit sketchy on his part.
1: But yeah. What was a prefer Then he he will move on your part. Yeah. And especially when he like he he, he says to Hellboy like. I, right, right is about to shoot it. It's like, "Oh, isn't this what you wanted?" It's like, yeah. uh, no <laughs> like when when would, when did I imply that?
0: Yeah, and I get the impression that the creature is quite scared as well, Like, it's not, it's not reacting out of like malice, it's just terrified, it doesn't know where it is, doesn't know what it's doing, it just wants a way. I, I just get that impression in the way it moves and the way it behaves. You know, it only seems to attack to retaliate against something that's in its way. So, like a helicopter shows up, and it's like, "Get away from me!" and and Hellboy's shooting at it. So, therefore, it's, he's a threat, and it just want. It's a bit like the Hulk wants to be left alone. Yeah, and then he's green as well. That's another thing. He's like
1: green, green, and, and giant, and and potentially strong, strong, and dangerous, which is uh, why every, every, everybody fears it.
0: Yeah, and that uh, that sequence is also designed to prove that Hellboy will be a good dad as well, because he's you know chucking the baby about
1: yeah yes yeah, yes. guess like like, like to to the baby's constant delight judging don't, yeah. don't, 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 don't by the giggling
0: yeah which is really weird. I'm just getting thrown around here and it's it's fun uh so that's um such a great sequence it's probably my favorite sequence in either film just because of you know how much emotional heft is behind it
1: yeah absolutely i, I can completely agree with that
0: yeah and there's some like good subtleties to nuada as well the the connection he has with his sister. It's not explicitly stated until later in the film, but you see it early on. You know where he's he's cut uh, early on, and she bleeds as well. And I mean, looking back, I feel like it might have seemed more subtle to me at the time because I wasn't paying enough attention at the cinema. But now it is very blatant. You do hover on uh, Noala's face for ages <laughs> just to show that she's bleeding. So that connection is painfully obvious from the get go. But it's consistently used throughout, so they can find each other. After a while, they don't spend an awful lot of time on that brother sister relationship, though. I would like to see more about. Well, they would I'd like to see more about what makes them differ. You know why they have such differing ideologies.
1: And I, I would have liked to have seen the kind of relationship that they used to have. you're, you're certainly giving the impression that they they were once very very close. Yeah. Presumably before Noada's self imposed exile. Yeah, and and uh, I kind can't, of I kind can't but wonder like if uh, over time Noala was was a, was able to feel like like his anger and bitterness and resentment like constantly constantly growing, but but she wasn't able to to do anything about it.
0: Yeah, well, she's the yin to his yang. I mean, that's the point of her, isn't it? Yeah, like she's supposed to be the opposite, and her sacrifice feels meaningful at the end as well. You know her. Uh, she stabs herself to to put an end to him. It's appropriately tragic.
1: I couldn't help but think, like, if she'd stabbed herself in the leg, it would, have, like, it, it would have taken him out just as easily.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's the same in um, spoilers for the end of the Flash season one. You know, where uh, Eddie kills himself, it's like, well, just get a vasectomy and then, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I suppose it's not as immediate, but. Uh, and it's one of those things, I think, if she'd stabbed herself in the leg, it, wouldn't have, it would not have slowed him down, but not stopped him. So, you know, it's the idea, I need to stop this guy permanently, and the only way I can do that is by ending my own life. Mm. Uh, well, you know, that, that's what tragedies are. I mean, it's very Shakespearean in that regard. And uh, the Golden Army themselves are, I mean, it's. it makes for a cool sequence at the end. Um, that I have some questions about in terms of like, the, the execution of it. So they they fight them for a few minutes and then they decide, oh, this is utterly hopeless. Uh, it's the bit where, uh, you know, Kraus takes control of one of them and then as soon as they gang up on him and destroy the one that he's inhabiting, he doesn't try it again.
1: Exactly, because he, he could have easily taken control of another one. <laughs> yeah, take control of the one that destroyed you. Like... <laughs> Yeah, What's stopping you? Cause yeah, because it's like my whole point of the character is he doesn't have normal physical limitations.
0: Yeah, uh, but I like the callbacks to the the story he was told in his childhood. I mean, the the fact that he was watching the Howdy Doody show, and then his imagination was puppets. That was a it was a nice way to subvert the, you know, billions of years ago oh, this happened type monologue prologue thing that we get, uh, and it sets it up nicely. Like Hellboy asks the question, "What if someone challenged them to a duel?" And he sort of remembers that that story. You know, it's when the, the army first comes to life and he's like, he just he just chimes in with, howdy doody. You know, just, <laughs> it's, it's like, that's a callback. He just remembers it. Uh, and obviously that lets him remember the challenge. Uh, which is another really cool sequence where he's just round about in the gears and stuff. Because it is after he gets like mortally wounded and he's like, yeah, it's just maybe not the, the fight you should be in. Yeah, it did
1: uh, engineer a reasonable enough excuse where fate of everything rests on, on, on what Hellboy's doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is his film. Precisely. Yeah. And then it's the, sorry pal, I win, you live. Uh, and then they melt the crown. Although Hellboy's like, with this power, I could. <laughs> it's like, nope, don't even think about it. Although the only reason the challenge is accepted is because, again, he's the son of the fallen one, whatever that means uh I mean, yep. you probably know what it means in the context of the yep. comics but in the context of the films we have no idea what it really means
1: basically uh, just uh, saying that he's a prince a prince of hell and, yeah. and, and therefore royalty yeah uh, it's, uh, not really explore the exactly why it needs to be royalty to issue the challenge without going to going into uh, the issues that I, I have with the concept of royalty in its entirety. I, I, I just feel there, there there needs to be to be something that that justifies like why we need to be somebody of 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 some kind of royal royal descent. Or some kind of noble descent.
0: It could be um, Noada's arrogance. He just feels that everyone's beneath him and he won't recognise a challenge for someone he considers beneath him. Um, so Noala plays on that being I mean, Actually he is royalty He's like the son of the fallen one And I know that for some reason Despite only meeting them a few hours ago mm-hmm. uh, I don't know how I know that Maybe I've seen a book where it's a picture of a big red guy He's the only big red guy I know So there we go
1: Maybe she accidentally learned it from Abe during their mind melt
0: Maybe Whatever though But it, it does feel like that kind of harbinger of the apocalypse Part of his life is over Part of his story is over uh, it's not something they're bringing up and certainly in this film it's just it's just a detail of his past that kind of proves useful um for opening that particular door to have the challenge accepted
1: yeah well it's like like it was, was a was significant aspect like of, of his character Like he has this like, apocalyptic key but he doesn't want to accept it like he he doesn't want to to play into what destiny presumes has in store for him yeah uh, it, was like, it was like a bit like in comics when Rasputin was, was saying I say, can t- tell you all about yourself, I, I, everything that you're, everything they you are, like everything that you could have the potential to be. Don't to know like every, everything you are. To which Hellboy Hill, just replies, "No, I don't. I, I, I like not knowing."
0: Hmm. Yeah, and I suppose they're trying to touch on that here. Although the foreshadowing suggests that that part of his life might become important again, because uh, you have the the Angel of Death or whatever it is, it's also played by Doug Jones. Yep. Yeah, it's almost like the folly of practical effects in that in that shot because it can't move. You know, it's just kind of stuck in that position. It's just kind of ominous in itself. It's weird. It's a weird image, but the um the condition for saving his life, it mentioned something about the future. Like something cryptic about the future and the end of days, or something like that. Oh, well, was a,
1: a bit uh, earlier on in the film when when they were looking looking for the troll market and, like, and, and f- f- through like, through like the, the elaborate scope glasses things. And then uh, uh, when, uh, when when we see when like see Hellboy, like there's, there's, there's like, a, a, like a shot of him like, like, with, like with, with, with his horns and, 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 and this like, a, 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 fire, a firelight around his
0: head. Yeah. Um. Which so is like, played for laughs, it's like haha <laughs> funny,
1: yeah um yeah 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 except yeah. uh, uh, that uh, that uh, that, uh, that that fire is is is, is actually, it's, it's actually called like the the cre- the criminal of the apocalypse oh, right it's like its it's like like it's, 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 it's something that, like, that he always wears did like this that's all that's always there and, and is part of who he is. Yeah, but because of his refusal to like to to accept that the, the the that that's his fate, then it's not something that affects him. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was still shown as a true and unassailable part of him.
0: Hmm. Um. So in terms of the the foreshadowing, um, I don't. I wish I could remember the the ins and outs of the dialogue, but Liz has to make a promise of some sort. Um, she has to choose. Him over the world that's what it is isn't it It's like, will you choose him over the the world and she says yes
1: I think i, I, I that to like for the the angel to like to, to be to be uh, speaking hypothetically well hypothetically in that moment saying like, like uh, would you would you choose would you choose him over the world mm. and in that moment she says yes and, and I thought thought like that that, 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 that would come back later
0: yeah, yeah it it also mirrors his choice in the first one how he chooses her over the world I was just
1: going to mention that yeah yeah
0: but so it suggests that Hellboy three is going to be about like this apocalypse that the that he refused in the first one, and about and I guess the the price of his life being saved was kind of a um, was the inevitability of it happening again, maybe through his children. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine what their children would have been like. So and also uh, since uh, uh, since since they're twins, yeah, and the, yeah, so then then there's the, the potential to have have a, have, a, have a lot of fun with that.
0: Yeah, we'll never see. Sadly. Uh-huh. Maybe Del Toro could write his comic version of Hellboy 3. I don't know. But yes, it was probably setting up a kind of a cap-off point, a, an apocalyptic story, I suppose. If you were to trilogise the Hellboy series, that obviously we can't. But I guess the natural progression in the third film would be to look back to his destiny in the first film and have that play in some significant way. Because I guess the idea of we can't have this post-apocalyptic world because the human race hasn't isn't really aware of the paranormal side of things, um, and then by the third film they are prepared for it or they do know it, and I suppose the um, him quitting the BPRD could be a could be the thing that lets this apocalypse happen because he's not there, he can't solve things, you know, and everybody, all their best agents have quit.
1: Yes, and so all, 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 all we have left to be their army of red shirts.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, because even Krause packs it in. After
1: being very simply pointed out that perhaps being a stickler for the rules is such a good thing all the time.
0: Yeah. Although, there's, I suppose there's the suggestion that there's other paranormal people working at other branches. Because he comes from another branch. Uh, but I liked uh, Manning's adoration of him as well. That was that was hilarious. The, the, <laughs> the, the It says he has a very open face. Like, well, yeah, he does
1: guess that's a very, very
0: literal way of looking at it yeah and then the um, the bit where he's possessing the uh, you know reanimating the tooth fairy and it's like uh, you know what's it psych teleplasty it's like plastic very modern it's like no <laughs> <laughs> like
1: stop pretending you know what you're talking about yeah
0: <laughs> yeah um, and obviously like Hellboy can bring creatures and people back to life using his weird little uh, his thing he's you know his keychain, uh, which is apparently not as good as teleplasty for some reason. Um, I felt sorry for that Russian guy in the first one, though, that he resurrects and then he drops him down a hole. I mean, I'm assuming that he just continues to be animated, just, you know, lying there experiencing consciousness for eternity. I felt sorry for him.
1: I actually should, should, actually should, should thought about that. The whole, sequ- whole sequence was, was quite funny.
0: But oh no, it's I- hilarious! But uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah just, the whole insult, insults—it was, was like slinging at him. But was just like, 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 like can we tolerate to this guy for a while? He's so negative.
0: I was better off dead. <laughs> like his last words. That's weird because that scene is quite tragic as well. Because an agent gets killed. I mean, you don't know his name, so who cares? But yeah, <laughs> still, an agent gets killed. So like, but it's also a joke.
1: Yeah, you know, and that was actually put, actually put in like, as a, as a reference like, like to, to the comics. There was like a, one uh, one issue which is uh, the whole bit having I mean, to bury uh, a corpse like in a in a in a, in a graveyard uh, bef- before dawn. So, so he's just hauling uh, it around, around on his back like w- 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 while it berates him. Yeah, but like every 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 place that he I mean like that, that he comes to, then all like all like uh, on the, on the zombies kind of spring up it's like no room here, no room, go away. <laughs>
0: So it's a it's a very paranormal world in the comics. Then it's very much.
1: Oh yeah, totally.
0: It's all fairly commonplace. And... Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, these were uh, a very, uh, very, very rural graveyards. Right. A lot of the comic stories um are are written like to, to feel that the the that they've been pulled st- uh, straight out of folklore. Mm. It's, uh, it's, a lot. of them do do use like uh, creatures and monsters like. Uh, like of from the from the like myths and legends of like various cultures from all over the world. Yeah. Yep. Yes, and, and yeah, yeah, but just with the addition of a kind of like big red demonic apocalyptic harbinger, hmm. just slung in for good measure.
0: I'm guessing the character is pretty consistent though. He's like, oh
1: yeah, completely. Yeah. He's got like the same kind of dry sense of humour and, and just like deadpan acceptance of everything that happens. Yeah. And the line at the end, end of the end of the first film just after he's like blown up like the the god tentacle thing where he <laughs> was saying that's gonna be sore in the morning you know, oh. you know, that's like, like a repeated line like for comics like after after he's just had the crap kicked out of him in, right, yeah. in, the, in whatever big fight he's just been involved in
0: yeah they're weirdly inconsistent with his strength level in the film come to think of it like he bleeds after getting hit by a stone in Hellboy 2 but he you know can get ran over by a train and be fine <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure what to make of that really but you know it's it's quite inconsistent with what will injure him and what won't uh, I guess it's for the expense of a joke or the expense of a shock I don't know pretty much yeah. yeah how would we know the stone has hit him unless he bleeds or that guy just randomly picked up a mystical stone that was able to hurt him possible I suppose uh, so I think we've covered the two films fairly extensively. I don't think there's there's much else we could dive into short of going on all night about every scene in in both films. Um so unless you have anything else that you want to say that you didn't get the chance to say. I don't think so. Cool, me neither. No. I can't. I'll get um I'll I'll get off this podcast and I'll be like Oh no, I forgot to talk about <laughs> Right, pull it in and we'll we'll we're recording again. It's like in the Star Trek 4 podcast where we talk, forgot to talk about how bad the score is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's in this podcast now, so, uh, yeah. Spoilers for the Star Trek 4 podcast that you've hopefully listened to by now, uh, whoever you are, listeners. Um, I just want to talk briefly about the kind of what we know about this reboot. Um, so, I mean, I've, the the trailers feel like a collection of images to me, so I don't I pay that much attention in terms of the, the background details, but does it seem more... A reboot of these films, or more a secondary adaptation of the comics that relies more on the comics.
1: I'd say, like it's just another uh, adaptation of the comics, just like a a, a new delve like into in, into into this world, okay. into, into this 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 world of world of like myth and and fantasy and magic and, and gods and demons and everything. Yeah. Um, even though there isn't any narrative connection to the, these films, then it's, it's still just uh, be, being a part of of the the same kind of mythos.
0: Yeah. So I wonder if they'll, you know, they'll go down the more technological, inf- uh, infused with mystical, like they did in these films, or, um, or do something else. It's kind of like the, the the Jason Momoa Conan film. Isn't an adaptation of the original Conan stories. It's a you know, it's an adaptation of the Arnie films. Uh, so, it's, at what point does your source material not become the original source material? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to peruse the trailers. Or maybe I'll just wait a week and watch the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that might be easier. Um, we'll see what they're, they're kind of shooting for here. It does seem like the whole Harbinger of the Apocalypse is the story, though. And they've they've brought in this Mila Jovovich character. He, she's like destined to be his queen, I guess.
1: Yeah, that 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 seems to be the suggestion.
0: Yeah, it's not going to work. I'm a Capricorn, and you're effing nuts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember watching. I've only seen Stranger Things season one. I remember seeing David Harbour in that, and it, I must have been watching it not long after he was cast. And I was like, oh yeah, he's hellboy. He's definitely a hellboy. Like he's just. <laughs> he just looks like he should be a he should be Hellboy
1: Then <laughs> you've also got the point that Jim Hopper's uh, default reaction to anything is to weigh in and punch it
0: yeah Hellboy style yeah I'm looking forward to the reboot though um, the second trailer G'd me up a bit about it I'm looking, I'm quite excited I'm, I'm interested to see uh, it looks better than the first film actually because as we've discussed here the first film ain't that great all told, it's kind of above average, I think. Um, whereas, the second film is you know, oh, well, I would say the first film's like three stars. The second film is four stars, because we've obviously we've discussed problems it has and and little like the the fact that it's got a little bit too much going on and all that kind of stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a safe four star experience. Uh, whereas the first film is you know that's what it is I think this one it exists in a a landscape where you can just go mental with comic book adaptations now nobody cares you know we've had Venom we've had we've had the Avengers we've had we've had Suicide Squad unfortunately so like you don't really have to worry about whether your audience is going to accept it because they just are these days
1: and now the the studios have figured out um, that the way to get decent comic adaptations is to give them to filmmakers who actually know like and understand them yeah. which must have been an understanding revelation
0: for them yeah, imagine that give it to someone that cares what they're doing and you'll get something that's good out at the end of it oh yeah, leave them alone, don't give them <laughs> a, yeah, don't, don't, yes. don't be like yeah, uh, studio intervention has never improved a film well, that's not necessarily true, I mean there's little bits and pieces that have been improved but on the whole when you hear the, the studio interference side of it, you're like, oh no, What's that? what have they done?
1: Yeah. The one positive uh, studio interference that I can think of off the top of my head uh, uh, was in Firefly, because it was a studio interference uh, which led to the creation of Inara. Yeah. Um, purely because some exec- executives at Fox uh, stated, yeah, we want space hookers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I suppose there's other bits and pieces. I think they... Um I don't know, I'm I'm pretty sure X-Men First Class had some good first studio interference making it happen. Um Of course you have the 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 infamous Stick interference that just I mean it wasn't I don't think it was a good film to begin with, but you know, I don't think they made it any worse. Maybe they did, no idea. Release the Trank Cut. Hashtag release the <laughs> Trank Cut. I was like no don't don't make us sit through that again. Uh, let's just forget it and move on yeah so uh, I think on that note we should end uh, and possibly return in a week or so to discuss Hellboy not to be confused with the other film that's called Hellboy They haven't even bothered with a subtitle or anything it's just Hellboy
1: Hellboy, Rise of the Blood Blood Queen or something like that
0: Hellboy, Hand of Doom that'd be a stupid title
1: well, um, so what, what was actually the title of one of the collections? Oh,
0: really? The right, the right hand of doom. Oh, I do have the, um, I do have the first collection, and I have in theory read it. I just don't have any memory of it. I don't know. Sometimes when I read something years ago, I just forget all about it. Uh, um, I'll go back to it one of these days, maybe when I have time. Um, so yes, thank you for uh, for taking a stopover out of your. Untold Hell Dimension to come and discuss Hellboy and Hellboy 2 The Golden Army. I keep wanting to say The Golden Compass, which would be a different film. Yes, but
1: yes, let's, let's just not go there.
0: Although they do, they both involve alternate universes, sort of. That's true. Yeah. Hellboy 2, The Golden Compass. It's like, what, what am, what's going on? Although I would like to see him fight a polar bear. Voiced by Ian McKellen. Oh, I want to see that now.
1: Yep. That's all going to pick up now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so thanks for joining from your from your hell dimension. You're very welcome. I'm,
1: I I I enjoy, I enjoyed the the brief respite from from uh, from eternal
0: torment and, and suffering. Yeah. Well. Any time. But you have to go back now. So
1: that's the rule. Damn it.
0: Yeah. And I'm away to listen to Barry Manilow, which is. Another form of hell. So, that was our Hellboy and Hellboy 2 The Golden Army discussion. A special thanks to YouTuber Diane DeVito for his cover of the Barry Manilow song Can't Smile Without You. If you like what you heard here, then please hit that subscribe button in iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app. iTunes users, please do leave us a star rating and comment. We really do need it. We're also on Spotify. If you want to talk to us about Hellboy or anything else, please hit us up on Facebook or Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or leave a comment on NeilBeforeBlog.co.uk. As always, we hope you'll join us on the next Neil Before Pod.
1: Going through, I just can't smile.